0: In my First Call congregation, we would have a hymn sing a couple of times each year. And one hymn was requested nearly every single time. It is well with my soul. That hymn reaches people in a way that I've seen few hymns reach people. Sure, a mighty fortress, amazing grace, how great thou art, were also favorites. They were perennially on the request list. but. It is great with, it is, it is well with my soul, was there every single time, often multiple times. We would have slips of paper, people would write their requests and then we'd draw them. Sometimes, yep, yeah, we already sang that. Probably because the hymn itself is authentic, it was born out of tragedy. Some of you already know the story, but I will retell it. Its author, Horatio Spafford, moved to the booming city of Chicago in 1856. He had grown up in New York State. And he was a lay elder in the Presbyterian Church, teaching Sunday school, working at the YMCA, and served as a trustee at the Presbyterian Seminary. He also had a lucrative career as a lawyer and a professor, investing his money in real estate. However, In 1871, the Great Chicago Fire turned his properties to ash. Shortly afterward, he planned a trip to Europe for his wife's health. Something came up and he couldn't accompany his family. He planned to follow them later. Disaster struck. Another ship rammed the Vyduhav, the ship carrying his family. It sank in 12 minutes with the loss of 226 lives, including all four of his daughters. When his wife arrived in Wales, she sent him a telegram. Saved alone. What shall I do? Devastated, Spafford immediately followed over to be with his wife. When asked later about the genesis of It Is Well, he said that he wrote it on the high seas near the place where his children perished. Spafford endured heartache that few of us can imagine. He not only lost four children at sea, he also lost a son who was born later. His church turned its back on him, reckoning that he must have done something to deserve what happened to him. And yet, out of it came this hymn with this line, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now most of us may not suffer from such a tragedy, but we do have our own trials and evils to face. We suffer from sickness, we have accidents, we lose loved ones. Perhaps worst of all, we can be tempted to lose faith in each other and in God. After all, we might reason, if God were truly good, would God allow such horrible things to happen? An age-old question. And can we trust God if we can scarcely trust each other sometimes? Anyone who has any level of empathy has asked such questions. It's just as valid as when it was formulated in the third century BC. It's that old, probably older. Yet Jesus refuses to answer it. He doesn't touch upon our why questions. In response to the evils of the world, Jesus simply invites us to pray that we be delivered from them. In response to the trials and temptations we face, Jesus invites us to be saved, to pray to God that we may be saved from them and to say amen, trusting that God will do what God has promised to do. That was Jesus' example at Gethsemane. We heard a little snippet of that story today in the gospel. Jesus knows what's waiting for him. He's known for a long time. He's told his disciples at least three times that he's going to die and rise again. Yet in these last hours, he hopes against hope that maybe the cup of suffering and death, the cup of his father's just wrath against the sin of the world would pass from him, that he wouldn't have to drink it. Yet, have you ever noticed this in this story? God doesn't answer. Jesus himself has a prayer that remains unanswered, or rather the non-answer is an answer. Jesus only affirms total, unconditional trust in his Father, praying that God's will alone would be done. This is one of the great mysteries of our faith. Jesus, while fully God, is still fully human, and therefore subject to the doubts and fears of human beings. Jesus aligns his human will fully with the divine will, trusting that his his Father will save him from from this ultimate trial, will deliver him from evil, although he will have to walk through death and hell to do so. God the Son trusts God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, returns from that prayer, the new kind of strength, urging Peter to stay awake, to pray that he himself may not come into such a time of trial. Spoiler alert, Peter does fall asleep again, and he does face his own trial again, and he fails. In this prayer, we do pray that God would protect us from any trial or temptation, that would cause us to lose our faith, to lose our trust in God. We also pray that God would spare us from the evils of this life. However, like Jesus, our deliverance may not be on this side of death. It may be, or it may not be. Yet whether we are blessed with a peaceful life or suffer through all sorts of evils, we are still invited, indeed commanded, to pray. To trust that God, indeed, is good all the time. That on either side of death, God will deliver us from all evil. And God does that through Jesus Christ. Jesus carried the whole weight of our sin on himself. The whole weight. So that, in Paul's words, he became sin who knew no sin. Why? so that we might become the righteousness of God. Luther called this the glorious exchange. Jesus took on everything that we are, our sin, our brokenness, our weakness, so that we could become everything that he is, so that we could receive his glory, his life. That is salvation. At the end of this prayer, Luther invites us to affirm our trust, to say amen. Amen just means yes. Luther has summed it up there. Yes, yes, it will happen just like this. This is a statement of radical trust. A radical trust in God, even when everything is falling apart around us say amen the God who promises is the God who does and we can trust God to do as God promises because for one thing we the church are still here two thousand years of failure and stumbles and disaster and broken relationships and pain and still the spirit gathers flawed, broken human beings like you and like me together to hear the word, to receive the spirit, to receive the Lord's body and blood, to be renewed for life together. That is a miracle. The fact that we are still here as the church is a miracle. We're still united by the Holy Spirit, which... Paul also writes, has been poured into our hearts. After all, Peter, James, and John utterly failed their Savior at Gethsemane, as did all the disciples. The proto-church, the community of disciples, crumbled in the wake of Jesus' arrest. Yet, in the wake of this disaster, the risen Christ restored the community. He forgave them, and the community wasn't merely restored, but sustained and vitalized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just rise, Jesus also sent his spirit to be with us and remain with us today. It's still in our hearts today, that spirit, same spirit that was still with Peter and Paul, with Luther, with our ancestors in faith. It is also the same spirit that moved in Horatio Spafford's heart to declare trust in the Lord and wellness in his soul when all he could see was loss and grief and heartache and pain. That spirit is here, sustaining our faith and life together, inviting, strengthening, and enabling us to trust God, whatever may come. I invite you to sing the first two verses of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It's not in your bulletin, but it will be up there on the screen.